Once again, Quantum Agriculture podcast from Sinichera Rainforest Retreat in Kugel, New South Wales, Australia. And I'm sitting here with Arndt, and we're going to discuss what he farms and why he farms and how he got into it and what he would like to see his future in farming. So welcome. Thank you. Um, so, how did you get into farming? Um, I fell into it. Um, my father kind of had the intention of me taking over the farm and wasn't too sure about it. And originally had ideas of doing something else and so I studied um, ag business at university, after school. So I left my options open, I could go into business or agriculture or whatever. And um, yeah, so did that and I, I took a few elective subjects and soils and that yeah. sort of thing and um, came back, oh, spent a, a half a year travelling in Australia and doing sort of elective courses and welding and practical stuff. Well, you need welding on your farm, don't yeah, you? Yeah, oh, it's something I wanted to learn and we combined it with an excuse to go up to the Northern Territory for three or four months. and. Um, so after being away and being on my own two feet for a little while, I actually suddenly realised that farming is what I wanted to do. And what do you farm? Um, we have a mixed farm, so we have crop and uh, sheep. What crops? Uh, wheat, canola, oh, wow. oats, lupins, barley, peas. Um, but the traditional rotation area would be uh, wheat. Um, Maybe a bit of barley, canola, and gluten. How many acres? Uh, 2,700 acres. And um, then, yeah, we run uh, 1,700 breeding ewes. Wow. And mainly for prime land production. So, um, so you've been personally doing this how long? Um, I took over the farm more or less uh, in about 2,000. Came back on the farm about 97. What, what's your age now? I'm 37. Oh, you're young. Yeah. So, so who do you see taking over your operation? Then? Well, I don't, I'm not putting any pressure on, but I'm hoping one of my boys will take over. Um, if not, we'll, we'll find someone that wants to do it, I guess. But How lucky your father was. Yeah. You yeah. know, because when I talk to farmers up and down this continent, 80% do not know who's going to take over the yeah. operation. Well, I'm trying to, I, my, my children are very young, three and 11 months, and I'm already trying to instill a, a love of the land in them, and um, I figure you start early and then the rest will have to sort itself out, and um, yeah, I haven't, haven't gotten too worried about it. Just no, yet, I wouldn't. So. You have a little bit of time left. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Why'd you come to this course? Um, well, I've been interested in biologic well, the biologic approach to farming for a long time. Yeah. And um, I started out listening to sales reps and buying products and was very disenchanted with that approach to mm -hmm. biologic farming, which a lot of things, some worked but were very expensive or didn't work or and not a lot of information was available. So um, somewhere along the line I just had a gut for and decided, right, I'm going to learn this for myself. And that was, I don't know, about 10 years ago. So, and then started, uh, couldn't really find much information, and you know, on the internet and all books and all that sort of thing. And 
then sort of drifted off back into doing things conventionally. Um, and but we we had a bushfire go through in two thousand and five, um, and yeah, so the whole farm got burnt out, and all the fences were gone. And really? um, yeah, it was completely devastating. Where are you located? Port Lincoln in South Australia, from the tip of South Australia. And um, so yeah, we we sort of got the whole experimenting stopped because we were preoccupied with rebuilding the farm. And, um, but by accident, uh, we had one of our worst paddocks that year. We had a reasonably early break, but seeding sort of took a while. And um, one paddock, because it was one of our not so good paddocks, got left to last. And by that stage, we had a whole lot of volunteer canola and a whole lot of volunteer wheat, and all this stuff had come up, and it was probably nearly a metre high. And um, we said, okay, well, we'll do it here. And so, well, we have to sell it. And we couldn't graze it because of no fences. And so we're, we hit it with two litres of Roundup and sowed straight into it because our machinery was capable of it. And sort of walked away and kept rebuilding the farm, forgot about it. And a few weeks later, you know, everything was dead and the, the crop was coming up. And we thought, well, it's growing. Well, that's good. And didn't think much more of it. But we did a soil test about two years later. And that paddock had improved so much just from that one accidental cover crop, which was still chemically treated, um, but the improvement in the soil was just tremendous. We have, we have excessive available phosphorus in that paddock now, and it used to be one of our worst paddocks. And the organic carbon in the surrounding paddocks is about two, and in that one it's about four. So, just from one cover crop? Well, there may have been an anomaly in the, in the soil test, but either way, there was a big jump. And, and a lot of, a big jump in available nutrients. And, and it was a paddock I'd been trying some of the, you know, the stuff you could buy, biological products. And um, so whether that played into it as well. Um, but what blew me away was that even under a full chemical regime, it had still improved. So the biology was so resilient that it, it did that. And I thought, well, if that's possible with chemicals, what's possible without chemicals? Because I knew, the chemicals are holding things back. So that was just a little impetus. And then, because we were busy rebuilding the farm, we went back to convention when I got a conventional promise and um, did everything he said. Um, nothing improved and except um, the costs went up exponentially. So once I once we'd sort of finished rebuilding most of the farm, I, I took over the agronomy myself again and went on a serious information search. And... Um, it's a long journey, but um, I've done pretty much started off just, oh, that's right, started with Joel Salatin. My wife was reading the omnivores to them, and she said, I've got to read this. And I said, okay. And came across a chapter on Joel Salatin and thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And so then he was speaking in Dales from Victoria, so I was like, right, we're getting on a plane and going to have a listen. And then at, when we were there, there was other like-minded people, and there was people handing out brochures to... And Joel's little, not organic, by the way. No, no, but the method, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not staunchly anything. I just yep. like the methods. And um, there was people there handing out brochures for making your own biofertilizer. And I said, okay, that sounds interesting. So back on the plane a few weeks later to do that course. And it sort of snowballed from there. And I, I met like-minded people and um, like Alistair. And we, we've been bouncing off each other ever since. And 
and doing courses together and I ended up um, learning about compost and compost teas and then took that further by doing Elaine Ingham's two-week course and then got a really good understanding of what's going on in the soil and, and the damage that chemicals do and I started doing experiments on my farm with uh, chemical versus non-chemical and, and doing a biologic test before I sprayed and after and seeing the difference and the damage and and I just wanted to get away from, from using chemicals. And, do you um, live on the farm? Yes, yes. Another um, reason to get off the farm. That's right. Um, yeah, you see people. Young children? Older farmers with cancer, and not that older farmers with cancer, and it's like, no, I want to get off this, but there's no real plan. Like, there's no one you can go, could go to and just go, right, how do I do it? So I had to figure it out for myself, and um, we're getting there, and we're slowly weaning ourselves off, and my pastures are organic now, and... Oh. They have the most tremendous growth, but I've, I've never seen such growth. And on very, very little fertilizer. Are you Are you doing any um, mob grazing? Yeah, we do. Not not in a purist sense, but we do do rotational grazing. Mm -hmm. And then during lambing time, they get split up into small mobs and get sort of set stock for a while, so so that they don't get disturbed during lambing. And then we start rotating them again and try to keep keep the grass on the right growth period and things like that. But I haven't formally studied it or yep. done anything, but uh, I've sort of picked up the principles and it's, yeah, it's not that difficult. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, and then, yeah. A little yeah, more fencing involved. So now, after, during that whole period, we tried to go organic with our cropping and that failed miserably because if no one told us that we needed to do it gradually. Yes. So I thought, right, okay, because of that, I'm going to stop In spraying. transition, they thought. Yeah. And I said, oh, no, it's bad, so I'm going to stop spraying and... Um, um, we'll be right because you know the soil does does everything itself. But um, that was before I did it, of course, and um, with no understanding of what you need to do to, to to build the soil up to be able to do it itself. Yeah. So of course those years were pretty bad, bad years, or that sort of thing, which put me off it. And we sort of went in and out, humming and ahhing about what to do and what to do, until one day we just decided, right, that's it, we're going to do it. And now we're actively cleaning ourselves and or transitioning. And the way we've decided to do it is to, to reduce the cropping or even eliminate the cropping and go to sheep and grazing crops. Oh, really? Yeah, so instead of um, growing crops for grain, we're now grow, growing crops for grazing. And that allows me to grow cover crops, which is what, my, what I want to do ever since that first experience with that. Yes. Um, so now I can grow polycultures because I'm not trying to grow a particular grain. Yeah. And weeds don't matter because the sheep will eat them off. So then I don't need to spray in crop. And so I'm more, it's taken us a, a whole heap of steps towards rebuilding their soil. Have you read Q's article, Boron and Overgrazing? No, I haven't. No. Oh, please do. Yeah. Go to the article section of Quantum Agriculture website. It's very interesting. It's one of the first articles I give okay. people. Yeah. But I mean, I, we've lived now in three places that all were all dairy, yeah. rich dairy land, and just overgrazed it. Yeah. Killed it. There's no dairies. And this whole northern rivers was dairies. When we were up at Gyra, it was all dairies. Yeah. Couldn't you couldn't even get a milk cow to live on that land. No, my my perennial I've seen perennial pasture mixes with you know about nine different species in the 
um, they are just, it's about three or four years now since I've seen them, mm-hmm. and they haven't seen a chemical since. I established them chemically because I, it was just too much money to put on the line yeah. without using insecticide, and, and, and not down there decided to establish the pasture, but once it was established, we didn't spray it again, they took, they're no fertiliser either, we just let it go, plenty of clover in there for nitrogen mm-hmm. fixation, and um, then just gave it fish emulsion and trace elements and molasses. And now two or three is in the... the you tried sea minerals? Hughes? No, I'm about to. Yeah, Hughes dropped that on sea minerals. Yeah, no, everyone has. What? <laughs> Everyone's been telling me, so I've got, I'm definitely going to give those a try. Um, but th- this year was my eureka moment where I can see the soil that started cycling and the growth is just phenomenal. Like, it, it's, it won't stop growing. I can't graze it hard enough, you know. Wow. Well, you put the well, lamb in there for six weeks, it was you know, down to 10, well, even five centimetres. I took about three weeks later, it was up at 15, 20 centimetres. Wow, that's and so gratifying. With nothing, like no, no urea, no nothing. <laughs> no phosphates, nothing. So um, unbelievable. And then I put a mob of sheep in. They were in there for, I don't know, two weeks to try and get it down again. Took them out, three weeks later, it's up again. <laughs> so... Now we're going to be doing our second lambing in the same paddock. So what do your neighbours think? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the things that's been why people shift. It's because they watch a neighbour who's like, wow, what's he doing? You know? Well, I'm hoping because I, I know I've been being watched. And, um, of course. Uh, I'm getting successes now. and Yeah. What's mm-hmm. your father think? Well, unfortunately, he passed away in 2006. So ah. You can't see. But uh, my mother's... Yeah, I think she's a bit excited. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's getting really fun. It's put the fun back into fun. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was quite depressing when you, you're locked into a production system that you know is bad for your soil, but you don't know how to get out of it yeah. without losing money. So I think there's, 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 we can see a way out now, which is brilliant. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was probably a good early congratulations. At least we've got a plan. And that's, yeah, that's you've got a plan. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, say, 20 years from now, what do you see for yourself in your farm? Well, no idea. Um, well, it would be helpful if you did. Hopefully lots of perennial pasture and, and very low inputs and hopefully making enough money to be able to expand. Yeah. Yeah. Or, perhaps, to... or there's an avenue to, to try and pass on what we learned to other people that want to do the same thing. That's right. So, yeah. Um, there's, there's very few people doing what I'm doing in my area. Um, oh, um, say 23 yeah. years old, your son will be. Yeah, well, perfect. <laughs> 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 got to give him some time to go travel. For, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I love it here because there so many of the schools, because I mean, so many farmers we know are so far out, they have to send their kids to boarding school, which is kind of an interesting dilemma for people to go yeah. off to boarding school. And... Um, but they all have agriculture programs, or yeah, stock, like do, yeah, yeah, or stock showing programs, or yeah. Yeah. you know, equestrian programs, or something. See, I mean, kind of like when I grew up in um, Middle Georgia, well, it's one place we grew up, but um, this big, big agriculture area, and future farming, future farmers of America. They wear the blue jackets with a little gold shield on them. Yeah, yeah. And but still, there was this sort of attitude of like. Yeah, lower caste. Yeah, unfortunately that's still pregnant. But, but that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the major thing. Yeah, 
thing in all of Georgia is agriculture yeah. and forestry. Yeah. You know, and and I mean, it's noble to me. It's noble to be a farmer. Yeah, I think it's one of the most noble professions there are, so, and and very grounded profession. It's, yeah, it's a privilege to be able to work with the soil and with nature and, and the freedom. And you know, I yeah. really, I really see it as as a, a blessing to be able to to work with with nature, and, and I see it as a responsibility to look after it too. It's not just a it's not just a take, it's a give and take. Yes. And yeah, I, I really enjoy giving back while we plant we planted shelter belts all around our paddocks and my aim at the end of my life is to have one around every paddock and oh. to, to provide habitat and wind shelter and, and we notice it, like the growth is better near the trees. Because we have we're in a very windy area and it slows the wind down, it, it raises the temperature and you know, the sheep appreciate it so and uh, just things like that, and it doesn't make us any money, and it's a lot of work, but it, it's very gratifying to do. So, I think, yeah, and it, that you need to earn the right to take something from the land or give something back. So. I love your attitude. <laughs> it's, yeah, and so when are you going to start teaching? Uh, when I'm comfortable that I know enough. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Great, but you have the view to do it. So. Yeah, yeah, but I, 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 I have the belief I need to, you need to do before you teach. That's right, to teach me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so a while yet, I think, still a lot to learn. Yeah, but, um, so what's I'm, your biggest I'm always open to people who ask questions and stuff, but then, and I know where I was when I started, I knew nothing, and I would have been so grateful if someone who knew something and give me some pointers. So, yeah. What's your biggest challenge? Really? Not the weather, not the labor. Interesting. Getting up chemicals so that that, that this transition period, so that when the plants can't stand on their own two feet yet, but you know that you need to stop spraying to to allow the cell life to do what it needs to do, but at Mm -hmm. the same time, the minute you stop spraying, the plants are basically like children who need to have the hand held and it's gone. So this, the transition period is quite difficult. Yeah. But we're getting there. We've, we've, come up, we've come up with a strategy. And Did you ever read Secrets of the Soil? No. I don't, unfortunately, I don't get a lot of time to read Oh, I understand. <laughs> it's a very inspiring book. My late husband was co-author of that book. Yeah. And, um, but I remember one of his best sayings was, you know, what the, farm, what the plants love the most, the footsteps of the farmer. That's right. Yeah. You know, just knowing that you're paying attention. I think you know. Confucius said it's the the the, the feet of the farmer grow the grow the plants or something to that effect. Yeah, you know? well, it's basically it's, if you're not out there observing, this things don't grow. I think it's also <laughs> that whole intentionality. You know, just the fact that you're caring enough to go out. Yeah, and, yeah. Hey, fellas, how you doing? Yeah, no, I, I love when the pastures are growing in the spring. It's one of my favourite times of year. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I just sit out there and just enjoy it. So. Uh, he was going to be um, teaching to all this beautiful group because I've been looking at their website and it's the um, um, Ottawa, no, it's Ontario Farmers. It's this, this whole group of um, Ontario farmers and they have like all their different primary producers and, and they're doing something interesting for grain growing. They're doing basically heritage grains now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's a market now. <clears throat> yeah. See, people are, well, with the gluten-free and all these horrible GMO wheats and everything, 
but they actually this nice little market for these heritage grains. And, um, you know, we've been the consumer driven market now. Food didn't matter before, you know, you put whatever you wanted in there, but now. Yeah, now it's good. Yeah, it's, it's something you might give a little thought to. <laughs> <laughs> With all your infinite oh, time. I, I still think, though, um, I mean, grain production is still something that I'll be trying to go, not completely back to, but just, just as a challenge to see if I yep. can do it organically. And because um, I don't, I think it's a cop out to just grow something that the whole, you know, not everyone's eating or mm -hmm. I think if we're going to try and turn the whole agricultural system over to an organic system, we need to prove that you can grow just as much. Yeah. But better quality. Yeah. And, and get rid of the argument. Well, look at the Solomons. Need. If the Solomons didn't have this weather challenge, and they've been organic forever. Yeah. And but no, I, I, I think we need that to, to take away this argument that we can't feed the world organically. I think it's if all the energy that's invested in in other research and independent chemistry and data data was directed at organic, it'd be amazing what we could achieve in a short, short period of time. Yeah, I, I you know what I found was International Federation of Organic, whatever. <laughs> um, that, that's what their main project is. For us. Our friend Andre Moy, who is actually an Australian, Australian, <laughs> and uh, he he's. Um, They've been taking country by country in third world countries and working with their agricultural ministers and they're getting whole districts and states declared organic. Yeah. And, 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 it's, and it's bringing into local farming, not, you yeah. know, yeah. Monsanto bait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they're bringing it to local farming and, and now with the awareness of food and MasterChef and yeah, I think I think the holistic approach is the answer because, uh, from what I've my limited um, knowledge of organics and research into organics, and a lot of it is just substitution, where, where yeah. it's the same paradigm of putting things on to make the plants grow, but with different ingredients, yeah. rather than looking at the soil as an organism and trying to get it to perform for you. And that's why, I like, what you are teaching with, with the whole holistic approach and taking every part of it as a system and, and integrating it into the growing or into the focus of growing something rather than an isolationist view of, you know, I need to put this on, that on, that on, yeah. and then this will grow. Yeah. It's, a, it's a getting everything right and then things grow by themselves. And, <laughs> and I observe it on the farm where, you know, you get the odd plant that um, is on a pile of mulch somewhere and uh, it's it's the healthiest plant in the paddock, and you look at it and what's going on there, and you dig it up, and the roots are brilliant, and it hasn't got any fertilizer because it's sitting on this throne of mulch, and but it's the best plant there, and it's the same with canola. We we through conventionally, and we're still conventionally at the moment, and we pile on urea to try and get canola to grow. Yet you get a volunteer plant during summer that has had no help at all. And they're the healthiest plants I've ever seen. They've got massive leaves. I can never grow leaves like that trying to grow it. But when it does its own thing, you get these huge healthy plants. So, you know, who's right? <laughs> <laughs> the plant. Yeah, exactly. So and that's what we need to tap into. Yeah. yeah. Wow, but I'm it's, so it's, proud of you. It's intuitive to, to just think, well, well, to me it was that, well, you just need to learn what the plants are doing. So your father passed away before you actually started farming? No, no, he, I was already going 
Um, but it was, it was the fire that, that broke him, unfortunately. Yeah. He loved that farm and just his life's work just went up in smoke, you know, I think that broke him out. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything you do to prevent that? What's that? A bushfire like that. A fire that would just Oh. <laughs> you know, it's funny because we have, we have sprinkler systems on our houses now. But that, yeah. the one thing it taught me is that um, materials don't really mean a lot. So yeah. if, if the farm burns down, it doesn't really worry. It's well, again. once you build that biology, it's not going to destroy the biology. No, and it's pretty good. It's, yeah. just, <laughs> it's just like. So. Um, it's funny because uh, this farmer from Ohio called me one time just before he and I got together and um, when I was selling field broadcasters to help pay for Hugh's farm and uh, this guy and I was saying, oh yeah, we have this guy in Australia and you know he he calls me up and says, I need another field broadcaster. And I said, why? He says, because hail season's coming. <laughs> and ever since I've had a field broadcaster, hail hits all my neighbors but not my farm. And this one, the cows knocked over, blah, blah, blah. And I said, wow. So I'm telling this farmer this. And, and, and he says, well, I can't buy a field broadcaster. And he says, why? I said, why? He says, because I make more on hail insurance. Growing <laughs> <laughs> crops. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was, you know, I don't mean to divert there, but yeah. it's the same yeah. sort of thing. You know, it's like betting against success. It's No, it's, it's, it's peace of mind. It means yeah. I can actually go somewhere in summer without being scared that the farm's going to burn down. Yeah. And if it does well, it's a lot of work, but at least you've had it. Yeah, you and I have both gone through house fires, so we mm. relate. You yes, know. yes. And, uh, um, something I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so different now that you have these young children, too. Yes, yeah. It's yeah. like they, they all appreciate that. They might never have the chance to have to know about chemicals. And well, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, no, that's one. It's a health aspect too. That I, it's very much so. Um, that's just my personal health, and and like I said, I, I having learned what I've learned, I know what the right way to go is. It's just a matter of figuring out how. You know? Yeah. And uh, we're getting there. So. I'm yeah, very, very privileged to meet you. <laughs> Thank you so much, and thanks for this interview. And so once again, Quantum Agriculture signing off. Sanitaire Rainforest Retreat. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you.